Sweet Insomnia, a short story by Grant Davis. The clock was ticking unbearably loudly, so loud that I was certain it was keeping me awake. This was nonsense, as I had had the clock in the bedroom for many years and had not been aware of its relentless, almost silent progress, marching through the nighttime hours till the alarm clock sounded. But tonight I had insomnia. Not that I was an inveterate sufferer of the complaint which divides the world into those who face life renewed each day and those who make sluggish progress from their bed, resenting the wasted night hours and dreading the day. But sometimes it would take me unawares, and tonight was such a night. The grind of trying to reach sleep during such episodes was tiring in itself. The exercises, meditation and other quack remedies were proving fruitless. I looked at the illuminated figures of the clock. 3.05am. And not a hint of slumber. Not the faintest suggestion of reprieve. Until Sonia came in from the bathroom. Did you have a good day? She asked, beginning to undress. The clock now reported 11.30 at night, but surprisingly, my mind accepted this change. A woman I never even knew, but was somehow familiar to me. I watched her undress, and this too proved to be not only familiar, but a comforting thing. I should have guessed I was dreaming, but I didn't. Not even when, still dreaming... I awoke in the morning and got ready for work, kissing Sonia and young Bryony goodbye. Not even questioning in my dream where I had acquired a new daughter from. I was now a family man. A hero in my own home, loved and adored, cherished and needed. I took my new family to beaches and forests where the sun was brighter and warmer than I had ever known. The restaurants we went to served gourmet food which I paid for from an inexhaustible wallet. Bijou moments accumulated, swelling a new trove of memories as those blissful days went by. I banked every minute I could in this epic dream as nine months drifted on until the alarm clock woke me. And so I awoke, disoriented and shaking. I looked to the pillow next to me to see Sonia's golden hair spread out, framing a perfect face softened by sleep, but the bed was empty. Still shaking, I climbed from my bed to the floor, where I clearly remembered having a cream carpet. I had my own familiar bare boards. I sank to my knees under the burden of intense disappointment. I really was just Carl Anders, failing artist, living in the worst part of a slum area with no loving wife or child, no prospects and little hope. As I made breakfast, I remembered in vivid detail my nine-month sojourn in my own dream world. I could recall the dates and times of things with frightening clarity. Sonia's scent, Bryony's voice and the films we watched together. Not once in that dream did I experience those hallmark events where my battered old car would turn into a sofa or a trip to the supermarket would have me checking in at an airport. Those ridiculous things where the mutation of a pint of beer became a pair of sandals needed no explanation such being the logic of dreams. This dream had been sequential, logical and needing no explanation. 
The feeling was so strong that I suddenly cried out without knowing why. I cried until my lungs strained with uncontrollable emotion until I realised I was genuinely bereaved. I had lost my wife and daughter. The feeling stayed with me for days, so real that I found myself calling for my wife at odd moments and the feeling of loss intensified. My doctor was only professionally sympathetic. What do you want me to do? You had a dream, a long one. A very lucid dream by all accounts, which seemed real and now you want that dream back. There's nothing I can prescribe or suggest for you. But doesn't it excite your professional curiosity? I know the plot to Notting Hill, which I watched in my dreams, but I know I've never seen it. Well, maybe that's subliminal, you know. Forgotten memories which surfaced in your dreams. I'm not sure what I can do for you. You know, I sighed, that just doesn't seem good enough. I want something. I have a whole other life, a beautiful life, with people I love and I am devastated by the loss. I thumped my chest in emphasis. Carl, you really aren't suggesting I'd put you on some prescription for tranquilizer or, or, or antidepressants because of one dream, are you? The cold, logical part of me agreed, but the pain didn't go away. I wondered if somewhere in the usual cacophony of dream noise there would be a clue. Something which might give respite for the despair and anguish I had now began to feel. I became obsessed with logging the events in my dreams, no matter how trivial. I would set the alarm to wake me during the most somnolent periods to break open the secrets of any lucid dream I might be having. I made copious notes and lavish drawings in a sketch pad I kept by my bed. During my waking hours, I would colour the often outrageous images as best as my memory would allow. Little by little, the book filled, and I bought another. And another. I developed a knack for recalling the details and the pages filled with Dickensian characters and Gormenghast-like buildings and landscape images. Often I would shock myself with the content of my own subconscious. I tried cross-referencing the pages where I thought a pattern might be. I spent hours of my time, not to mention large amounts of my dwindling resources, poring over articles on the internet about the meanings of dreams eventually becoming disillusioned by the contradictory explanations and prognoses. Bit by bit, I sublimated my grief into this quest until another dread fear took hold of me, that I should dream again of my imagined family and be forced to go once again through the loss and pain. Then it happened. As before, I curled and uncurled in bed, turning to the left and right to achieve sleep. I looked at the clock, a little after three. Realising that this was a signature of my previous dream, I decided to get up to fight the dream. I could sleep tomorrow or the next night without the preamble which last heralded that dream. I swung my feet over the edge of the bed onto the cream carpet. There was no regret over that, no fear or worries. In fact, I felt overwhelming relief and pleasure. Sonia was downstairs making breakfast, talking to Bryony as she ate cereal. This time, a year passed overnight. Again, I went to the doctor, taking my books and drawings, and again he offered little help other than to suggest that I tried publishing my dreamscapes. The pain this time, the grieving and bereavement, was less than before. 
Whether I had prepared myself for it or experience had inured my feelings, I couldn't be sure. Then I had a visitor. Bernie was a year or two younger than myself and always brought beer. He looked at my tatty flat. You know, a little paint, a little bit of carpet and this place might just rise to be a shit heap. Thanks. Anyway, where have you been hiding, Carl? It's been months, mate. I don't think you'd believe me. He raised his eyebrows to my challenge and I poured out the story. He viewed my drawings, read the notes and whistled. These are good. But you have a seriously weird mind there, mate. Can't help what I think when I'm asleep. But but this naked man in the egg cup, what's that all about? I cracked open two cans and poured them into two nearly clean mugs. He was in a dream a while back. He wanted me to mend the traffic lights in his kitchen. I hope you can make sense of that because I can't. He sat thinking for a moment, sipping the beer. Do you know Brian Wilson? Of course. Beach Boys. Great writer. No, the guy we met at the lawn party last year. The arty-farty thing we went to with the living statues and balloons in the fountain. Oh yeah, I remember. Can I take them and show them to him? Two weeks passed, during which time I tried defining my ambivalent attitude to falling asleep. I didn't dream much anymore. Well, not that I noticed. Sleep came easily and Sonia and Bryony became just a dull ache in my head and heart. Almost two weeks after seeing Bernie, I received a call from Brian Wilson. Carl, I have your books here. I was wondering about a deal in publishing them. Should I contact your agent? As quick as that. Yes, I'll get him to contact you. A lie. I didn't have an agent. Uh, um, what are we talking about? I, I don't know yet, but there's a big market for this sort of thing. Since Yes Split and that Roger Dean thing slowed a lot, there's, there's been a void. But that's all 70s imagery. Sort of dream material. Yeah, but these are deeper and so much more real. Besides, retro art is the art nouveau. I paused and he detected my doubt. Look, Carl, Alice in Wonderland has never been out of print. There's always people who want to buy this sort of stuff. I phoned Bernie immediately and asked if he would be my agent. My next surprise call came from my doctor, who asked me into the surgery. He sat opposite me for several moments, fingers arched over his mouth, chasing his thoughts for an introduction. I'll help you, I offered. Carl, I don't quite know how to tell you this, but... He laughed, something like that. He sighed, look, I have a patient whose name I can't tell you, obviously, and she's been having... Well, she's been having these dreams. Suddenly my heart beat, fit to burst through my chest. Are these dreams long and lucid, I asked. They are, and she mentioned you by name as being her husband in these dreams. Well, by first name only. I tried to speak several times until last I muttered, and, and, her, and her name's Sonia? Well, that I can't tell you, but I don't think she's the woman of your dreams. How do you know? I asked sharply. She's a mess, not the young, pretty wife you told me about, and she's here for treatment for an addiction. Suddenly he looked uncomfortable. Maybe I've already said more than I should. Where does she live? No fixed address. Then what are you telling me this for? 
I had the feeling that the rug was being pulled from under my feet. I'm not sure. I want to talk to you about your dream, if you agree. Then maybe you should meet, if that's okay with you. Oh, sure, I exclaimed. Then I thought about my crumpled clothing, the bare boards on the bedroom floor, the damp walls and the filthy kitchen. No, I'm, I'm not ready yet. No, he mused for a moment. Funny thing is, she said exactly the same thing. Bernie answered by the fourth ring. I was breathless with anxiety. Bernie, Bernie, you have to close that deal fast. I need an advance, anything you can get me. Whoa, steady on, mate. The deal's been signed, a generous advance in the interests of an American publisher. I took the phone from my ear and held it to my chest. Money. I would buy a nice house with an orange juicer in the kitchen and an ensuite bathroom just like in the dream. I didn't and still don't believe in fate, yet somehow there were two people who were coming inexorably together, drawn by their mutual dreams. It didn't make sense. It defied reason and logic. But I didn't care. I care about Sonia, who will straighten her life for the sake of her dream. I care about Bryony, who has yet to be born. I care about the cream-coloured carpet on the bedroom floor. But in the dark watches of the night, when sleep hasn't yet taken me under, I'm gripped with a dread fear that I will, after a bout of insomnia, fall into a dream odyssey where I am a struggling artist in a dirty garret, alone and unloved. A solid, larger-than-life dream. And the biggest fear is that it is a dream from which I will never wake. That was Sweet Insomnia, a short story by Grant Davis. Grant Davis 